Good morning, everyone. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers here, to all the fathers that are listening or will listen later on, but definitely a happy Father's Day to the Father that is above, the one that has provided a Savior for us. In preparation, if you could turn to Psalm 68, we will be reading from 5 to 10. And I just want to declare here that our Father in Heaven who provided that Savior is that Father that never lets us down. That He takes care of those that need a Father, which is all of us. We need that spiritual Father. So everyone is included in that. So if you could rise for the reading of the Word of God, that's Psalm 68, 5 through 10. And let's begin. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. O oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, Selah, the earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain. Before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel, rain in abundance, O oh God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished. Your flock found a dwelling in it. In your goodness, O oh God, you provided for the needy. Let's pray. Father God, words cannot express the gratitude that we have, not only for the fathers that you've given us here on this earth, not only for the father figures that have stepped up to mold us who we are today, but we are grateful, Lord, that you are the father of lights, the one that never lets us down, that we can fully trust because your word, which is your scriptures, declares it so. So we ask you, Lord, to consecrate this time to open our minds and give us the wisdom and the discernment to understand what we will be reading, what we will be talking about, but ultimately for you to be glorified on this Lord's Day, Father's Day. For these things we pray in the precious name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, whom you have given to us. Amen. You may be seated. Such a great text to see in Psalm 68 that our Father is the Father of the fatherless. As we're born enemies of God, we are born fatherless, spiritually speaking. And it is great to know that we have a provider in heaven who loves us and takes care of us and of our children, of our families. And we see the providence of God in things that sometimes we don't even understand. How he takes care of those that actually blaspheme his name. At one point or another, in our lives, we all were unsaved, we were unbelievers, and he still took care of you. And he still loved you. And now you're here today, 
glorifying his name. And as we go through, I want to speak a little bit on what is going on in this world. And especially in the last 50 years or so, we've seen an increase in fatherlessness. And you see the fruits of that. Obviously, it's not the only thing that has produced the fruit that we see today. And it's bad fruit, let me tell you. But you see that it stems from somewhere. When you come into this world, God has given you those that you honor, that you're in subjection to. And when they do not have that Christian worldview, or they just leave and are not even around, you see how the children are molded. Some of us, even ourselves, that could have happened to us. So I've titled this section, The Tragedy Tragedy of Fatherlessness. Listen to this quote from Mary Eberstad. She's a senior fellow at the Faith and Reason Institute. Quote, Absent fathers predict higher rates of truancy, psychiatric problems, criminality, promiscuity, drug use, rape, domestic violence, and other less than optimal outcomes. And this is just speaking in a physical level. Later on, we're going to get into the spiritual level. But you see the fruit and the bad fruit. Again, I want to emphasize the bad fruit because when we think of fruit, a lot of times we think of the good fruit, right? But the bad fruit of these absent fathers. Because according to data that has been given from the U.S. Census Bureau, over 18 million children, that's one in four children, just in the United States alone, do not have a father in the home. And that stems from many different reasons. But this has a severe impact on children. Ultimately, those are the ones that are impacted the most. Many others are impacted. But as we're here Father's Day, we're stressing how we are with our children. The national rates from, uh, this was just from a few years ago. It's probably gone up substantially in the last two, three years. Those that come from absent father homes are five times more likely to live in poverty. Now you could say, well, oh, they're just poor. No, that affects a lot of different things. Poverty is not just being poor. Poverty is not having anything. Not having that foundation that is needed. That security, that love. Those that come from absent father homes are nine times more likely to drop out of school. So now they're not even getting a good education. They don't want to learn. They're not getting molded correctly. And we're, unfortunately, even then, in the schools today, they're molding our children in a different path than what the church would be doing if we would take over the reins. Also, those that come from absent father homes are 20 times more likely to end up in prison. They become criminals, all different forms. This is a sad tragedy. That's why I say it's just a tragedy of fatherlessness. 
And the unfortunate thing is that those that come from fatherlessness homes, or fatherless homes, they look for father substitutes. So next thing you know, they get involved in gangs. They get involved with the wrong crowds. They have people influencing them that is not for their good. That leads them down that path that could, as it's mentioned in Proverbs before, leads them into death, into that trap. Before we move on, here's another quote from a study published by the Minnesota Psychological Association. A high percentage of gang members come from father-absent homes, possibly resulting from a need for a sense of belonging. Gaining that sense of belonging is an important element for all individuals. Through gangs, youth find a sense of community and acceptance. In addition, the gang leader may fill the role of father, often leading members to model their behaviors after that individual. Having a father in the child's life greatly reduces the likelihood of a child joining a gang. Now, exceptions aside, we've seen that. It is common. I mean, growing up, even in the church, I knew of many children that were my age and they grew up into gangs and got involved in that. And then, which most of the time leads into crime and drug use. And the drug use is so hard to get out get out of that because now you your body is even dependent on that drug and we got to remember that all this entails a worldview that is not grounded in Christianity in our Savior why because we are called to be fathers that imitate our father in heaven because we are to be imitators of God. So many of these reasons are the father abandons the family. There's divorce in the family. And then there's two separate homes. As I've seen many times in family members and in friends, unwed births. Where then they don't get married. And now that child grows up in a home where even if the father does come around, it's not all the time. It's not in every single aspect of their life. And the thing is that in the United States, that's probably one of the biggest problems we have is that this aspect of marriage, which is a biblical thing, is now being distorted or it's being put to the side and say, I don't need a paper to tell me anything, right? That's how they, I, I hear them say all the time, oh, I don't need to be married. It's just a paper. That's all it is. I'm just signing something. They don't understand that it's a covenant. As this quote from David Popno from Families Without Fathers, marriage has been losing its social purpose. In place of commitment and obligation to others, especially children, marriage has become mainly a vehicle for the emotional fulfillment of the adult partners. Fewer than 50% of Americans today cite being married as part of their definition of family values. This loss of social purpose is part of the broader cultural shift toward a radical form of individualism that accelerated rapidly in the 1960s. Now let me ask you guys a question. 
as Christians, are we supposed to be individualistic? Or are we supposed to be collective for everyone, right? Not only loving our neighbor, even those that are unbelievers, but in the church, we're a family. We're not individualistic. By definition, that's what a church is, right? A congregation, an assembly called out from God. And two more reasons that I've seen. We have fathers that although they're there physically, are emotionally or psychologically absent from their kids. They are not involved in their lives. They don't care what they do. They're two in the morning, they're, they're still not at home. Well, it doesn't matter. I mean, they're kids. They do dumb things. Not realizing how that molds our children, those examples that are given. And then last but not least, this is where we're really going to get to the spiritual aspect. When those fatherless children, when it happens, whether it's right at the beginning or later on in their lives, no one else steps up. No one in the family steps up. No one in the church steps up. And then you know who actually steps up? The government. And we can't trust the government, no matter who's in charge. What does Deuteronomy 10.18 say? He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Are we supposed to imitate this? Are we supposed to imitate our Lord? Job 31, 16 through 18. I'll just go real quick through these because they're self-explanatory. This is Job speaking. If I have withheld anything that the poor desired or have caused the eyes of the widow to fail or have eaten my morsel alone and the fatherless has not eaten of it, for from my youth the fatherless grew up with me as with a father and from my mother's womb I guided the widow. Was not Job called blameless in a human sense? Was he not blameless because he was an upright person who loved the Lord and did what is right? Isn't this what we're supposed to do? Isaiah 117, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Are we doing that as a church? These are the things that we need to self-examine ourselves, myself included. Jeremiah 528. There's so many in scripture that speak about this. They know no bounds in deeds of evil. They judge not with justice the cause of the fatherless to make it prosper, and they do not defend the rights of the needy. And the needy doesn't always have to be somebody that is that is just has nothing. There are people that need stuff even though they're working hard. Right? We need to step up when a single parent who either the father or the mother has abandoned them and is working hard, right? They're not needy in the sense of, wow, they're just, they're homeless and they have nothing. We still need to step up because that child is either fatherless or motherless. Zechariah 7, 9 through 10. Thus says the Lord of hosts, 
Render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Very self-explanatory, right? What we are supposed to do. And last but not least, from the book of James, chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father. And pure and undefiled means like a true measure of obedience, right? Is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So when the world rejects these people because they are not fitting what they want, we step up. That's the church. As I say these things, this, this also applies to me. <laughs> so we need to step up. If we know of those that are in fatherless homes or motherless homes that need help, that are working their butts off, and they just seem to not be able to get over that hump, let's step up. Let's step up as a church. And we have stepped up in certain things, but we can do more, right? Because it's for the glory of God. So that shows us that in the word, we are called to be imitators of God in our fatherly roles. For what is Ephesians 5, I'm sorry, Ephesians 4, 32 through chapter 5, verse 2 say, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is what we're called to do. And this is in many different contexts also. But we are to be imitators of God. For what did he do for us? He died for us. He sacrificed himself for us. And that was the sacrifice that was given to God. The paid ransom to bring us to a reconciled state with our Lord. Now there is a survey that was done by Promise Keepers in the Baptist Press. This is, I really want to stress this. And it found that if a child is the first person in a household to become a Christian, okay, so this is the child first becoming a Christian, there is a 3.5% probability that everyone else in the household will follow. That is a very low percentage. If the mother is the first to become a Christian, there is a 17% probability that everyone else in the household will come to faith. So now it's stepped up. Mothers, step up. But this is the kicker right here for the fathers. When the father is the first to come to Christ, there is a 93% probability 
that everyone else in that household will follow. And if we are heads of the household, whether you're an unbeliever or not, that is what you're called to do as a head of the home. So that's food for thought there. We are to instruct our children and our spouses to the loving work of Christ. To repent of their sins. We preach the gospel even to our family members in our own home. Now I'm going to state from Luke 6, 39-42. The immediate context is of judging. But I'm going to apply a principle here that I want you to open your minds to. It says, he also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out that speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. So I, again, in the immediate context, this is about judging. But what is a principle that we can apply to our daily lives here? If you're going to call your children or your spouse to Christ, but you have that log in your eye and you're a hypocrite, that is a deceiving act that you will be doing, myself included. I have to check myself before I tell my kids or my wife, hey, what you're doing is wrong. The Bible doesn't say that. So we are imitators of God because when God tells us those things, he's perfect. He is righteous. There is no log in his eye. And there never will be. There can't be. We need to remember that. As fathers, we are called to be the priests of our homes. As the head of the household. Look how Job, how he was the priest of his family. Again, this is a principle because we know that our high priest, Jesus Christ, has done everything that when it comes to salvation. But we are still called as being part of the priesthood. And as you'll see later, what we do for our family. Job 1.5 And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. That's his children. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. One of the things that I have implemented in my home, and I, and I just started this maybe about a year ago, maybe even less, is when we pray, whether it's individual or as a collective, we pray and we ask for forgiveness for the entire household's sins as priests of our home. Because just like Job said, maybe my children 
or my spouse have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. I want that sanctification to keep on going. I don't want them to take two steps back, right? I mean, this is all practically speaking. So what is, in that section, what does offer burnt offerings mean? That's, that's kind of a weird quote. This is from the Reformation Study Bible, just so you guys get an idea. By this means of grace, the patriarch Job, like Abraham, in Genesis 15, 9 and 10, fills the role of priest for the family, consecrating his children to God. And in the epilogue, Job again plays that inter intercessory role. So this is just a template, an example of something that we should do. As Peter states in 1 Peter 2.5, he says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So this is after you're saved. This is not before. This is not to get yourself saved. This is spiritual sacrifices to our God. When we come and we worship him, we're offering a spiritual sacrifice for it to be a pleasing aroma to him, metaphorically speaking. Because we love our God. And he also states once again in that same chapter in verse 9 and 10, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Don't you see the beauty in that? He's, he's actually quoting from the Old Testament, from the Torah, the first five books, where God, the Father, says this to Israel. And now he's quoting it to the church. And what is the church? Spiritual Israel. Both Jews and Gentiles. Who have the faith of Abraham. This is what we're called to do. And as you would see the fruit of it in many churches. When you raise your children in the ways of God. And the ways of his scriptures. If the light and the, the scriptures are a light to, to their feet, almost such a high right percentage of those children with that seed planted will come to Christ. We need to remember that. Now, going back to that psalm, Psalm 68, God is a father to the fatherless. We are all fatherless, spiritually speaking, until he adopts us as his children. Look what John 14, 15 through 18 says. Here, Jesus speaking. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot received, receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 
What a great promise. We will not be orphans. We will have a father. And not only some father, but the greatest of them all. The father of fathers. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. As Paul says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. What is that promise? The inheritance of God, right? That promise that was given to Abraham. That is given to us because he has adopted us as his children. He becomes a father to the fatherless. And that's Psalm. Again, let's just read it real quick. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Can we contemplate that? Can we think about that? Can we use that as the template and the example to be to our children, to our spouse even, to the children in our family? Will we step up? Because you got to think about this. Of all the ways that God could have chosen to relate to us as humanity, as mankind, he chose the language of family. He's our father, right? We are his, his children. And many different verses in the Bible speak of that. Because throughout scripture, God describes his love for us as a caring parent. And he possesses in the scriptures both characteristics of father and mother, as you see in Isaiah 66, 13, if you ever get a chance. But he does, for the majority of the time, he uses the masculine word father because it denotes strength, protection, and provision. So isn't that what we're supposed to do as fathers? We are to protect our family. We are to lead by example, be imitators of God. And I want to close with this. We need to remember and honor our fathers, our parents, even as the kids are crying. <laughs> right? But it happens. <laughs> but yes, we need to remember our parents. I know many of us have lost parents in the last few years. I lost my father in 2016. I... I can't for sure say that he's not saved, but from the last conversations that I had with him, he told me he did not believe in, in the scriptures and God. I cherish, and I wish I could go back and really cherish those times with my father and go back and speak to him and preach to him the gospel. And so many others, right? Grandparents that, I've, that we've lost. 
If your parents are here today, still, in this world, speaking a lot to the young, but even some of us that are older, our parents are still alive. Cherish those times. Don't waste them, because one day they'll be gone, and you will look back and regret and say, man, I could have done so much more. This world is full of death. Let's bring light into this world. Let's step up as fathers. Let's step up for the fatherless. Let's live for Christ and imitate him, his direction. And cherish those times that you have with your parents today. Don't let them go. Hold them dear and close to you. Because one day it will be gone and you won't be able to. So let's pray. Father God, so many years of our lives where we were living for ourselves, living for the culture and the world that is today, so anti-God and anti-Christian, but you rescued us out of that fire. You adopted us as your sons. You have loved us even though we were your enemies. While we were sinners, you died for us. But the unfortunate truth is that even as Christians, myself included, as believers, we do not imitate you Lord we still in one sense live for ourselves we waste that time that we have on this earth to glorify you every second of our lives but on this Father's Day Lord we want to come back to you we want to glorify you we want to imitate you we want to love and show mercy to this world. Preach to them the gospel. Tell them that that fire is unquenchable. That we must repent of our sins. And trust in you, your son that you sent for us. What a glorious father you are. so great Lord please put it in our hearts to step up to lead our homes and to not waste that time both in this world to glorify you and that time that we have with our earthly parents that you have given us as a gift and for those that do not have a father or a mother at this time and are looking for a substitute somewhere else, put your trust in God, for he has done it all, and he has done it perfectly and righteously because he loves us. For these things we pray in the precious, beautiful, gracious, loving name of Jesus Christ. Amen.